0: Hello and welcome to the Atypical Behavior Analyst, your place in space to hear conversational information about the science of behavior analysis. I am your host, Kelly, and welcome to episode 27. Before we jump into the good stuff, let's go over some quick housekeeping. First, we are ACE approved, so if you're listening for Continuing Education Units, jot down the two keywords interspersed during a talk, and then take those over to our website where you can purchase CEUs. And speaking of our site, you can find us at atypicalba.com. There you'll find additional resources, citations, and references for each episode, and then more information about each of our guests. Next, if you'd like to stay up to date with our upcoming talks and live events, you can find and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We thrive off feedback, so please follow, rate, and leave a review on your favorite listening platform or on any of the social medias. We look forward to hearing from you. Lastly, stay tuned after the talk for a preview clip from our next episode with Dr. Tyra Sellers. And now, what you've all been waiting for. In episode 27, we meet with Dr. Meryl Winston for a follow-up from our live discussion. Check out episode 23. There were several comments and questions in the chat that we felt needed to be further addressed. So in this ATBA after dark follow-up, Meryl addresses the concerns that come with medication being administered for behavior reduction, including challenging and sexual behaviors, tips for collaborating with prescribing professionals, and the importance of objective measurements. So grab your pen and notepad and get ready to dig further in about medication administration and behavior analysis. In episode 27, actual results may vary. A follow-up with Dr. Meryl Winston. wish I could change her voice because she gets annoying after a while.
1: Yeah, got it. <laughs> right. Um, like a really bad version of Siri.
2: Yeah, it's not. Siri couldn't hack
1: it. It's not. Uh, is it, her name was Neary. neary. Yeah, her, it she's so her- Neary. Yeah, so near you. So far. So oh, the one on the pharmacokinetics, the pharmac- pharmacodynamics. Did they say exactly what they meant by that? I mean, I could take a guess.
0: So the- I pulled up the almighty Google and mm-hmm. it told me uh, co kinetics is the study of uh, time and course that a drug absorbs, distribution okay. of it, metabolism, and excretion. They're looking to enhance the efficacy and uh, toxicity of the mm-hmm. patient's drug therapy. And then codynamics is the branch of pharmacology concerned with effects of drugs and mechanisms of their actions, so.
1: Yeah, I don't know what the question was though.
0: Because I think we were, you were trying to like not label, but just kind of give the, the broad explanation of almost like where we fall in it um, because it's not, you know, we're not prescribing or anything and we're not looking at how it affects like the neurons or the chemicals in the brain. But what we want to see is the behavioral effects, um, how it. Yeah. We're looking at,
1: you know, instead of the code dynamics, it's like the behavioral dynamics, you know, that's what we're looking at. I mean, we're, we're looking at the level. um, We're looking at the level and analyzing at the level at which they need the drug to perform. You see, they don't need the drug to block dopamine. That's not the problem. The, you know, in any of these things, like the problem, what's the problem with this person? Too much dopamine. That's not the problem. They just threatened to kill somebody that they thought was attacking them and they weren't. Okay. That's, you see, they haven't specified that, that we deal with what the problem is. The problem is not too much dopamine. Nobody brings them into the psych ward going, what's the matter with this person who's very calm? We just did their blood levels. They got too much dopamine. We better do something about it. Okay we're acting on that end. We're looking at that end, which is the end, which is has all the reasons for why the drug is given. No one does blood tests on people just as part of the regular physical. Oh, Callie, we got your blood work back. Hate to break it to you, but turns out you're schizophrenic. You got way, way too much dopamine. There's no way you're not hallucinating. Okay, this is not what happens, right? And because this is not what happens, all those things are very interesting. All the code, dy- you know, the uh, the pharmacodynamics, and and they're important. And that's why where they get really important, I think, is um, when they're doing intelligent polypharmacy, which means I'm going to give you this med at this kind of a high dose. But if I give you this other med because of the way they interact with each other, and one may be a, an agonist or an antagonist for another drug or a neurotransmitter. And what it ends up doing is you can give less of the more dangerous drug by giving a sidecar of another drug. I've rarely seen that done that way and explained that way. It's usually what I call tit for tat pharmacology, which is you've got five meds and five disorders, and you've got this med for this disorder. You just draw lines from one, you know, to show. And the reason, one of the reasons that started is, is there were a lot of people wrote policies and a lot of uh, uh, regulatory policies, right? That said, if they're giving a medication, there should be a diagnosis that's matching the reason why you gave the medication. Now, not everybody does this, but they did this at the institution where I worked, um, where I first, where I cut my teeth and they just backtracked all the diagnoses. They just went through the binders and they did like this. What's young? Uh, How they reverse engineered the diagnosis. I should say uh, that's exactly what they did. They go, what's young? How doll has she ever seen like crazy to you oh yeah sometimes we think she's looking up at the corner and listening to something good enough for us schizophrenia and boom you know this is yeah did you experience any of that or oh
0: for sure um Uh, looking a lot on the residential facilities it was very similar um or it became oh well this one causes this potential side effect you know they may become more agitated so let's add another one on that's going to depress that oh well now they're too depressed
1: and they do, and they do it prophylactically. They don't know you're going to get this, right? So mm-hmm. they go, "We want to guard against TD, so we're going to give you this antihistamine. We're going to give you Benztropine with it." Which, as drugs go, is not the worst drug somebody could give you, but it's another drug to counteract what you're afraid might happen because the drug you just gave is so damn dangerous. So yeah, that makes that makes fabulous sense, right? Um, so. But they call that giving the medication prophylactically because like we don't know you're going to get this, but so many people get it. We may as well give you this just to cover our bases. And yeah,
0: it's another drug. Without considering like there are things we can do blood work on. I mean, I wish you could do your blood work and be like, oh, look, Kelly, you have this kind of thing going on or, you know, here's the diagnosis for this person. And here are the you know chemical makeups that we need to do. That would be fantastic. But that's not how it works. But we can you know should consider you know or not consider this is kind of how we fall into this is being that voice for our clients or an advocate for them when they aren't able to articulate, Hey, this makes me feel a certain way. Or perhaps there's a genetic disorder that hasn't been talked about yet because, um, one of the questions or comments that was brought up of you have prescribing physicians that may or may not even talk to each other. Um, and I oh, have this heard...
1: happens all the time. people almost die because of this. We just yeah. had one case with my friend's daughter, the physician was saying the pharmacist should have his license revoked, and the pharmacist was saying the physician should have his license revoked. Just as an example, because they were telling the patient, the pharmacist said, "You could die if you stop if you stopped this suddenly." And the doctor's like, "Who told you that?" You know? Yes.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's terrifying. Yes. So it is. and this is why you know we wanted to come back and kind of have this conversation was to discuss and give people some recommendations on how to facilitate those kind of things So i mean we're looking at individuals who variety of ages i know in the first talk we were going over um you know young kids are getting prescribed with certain medications and we don't always know the long-term effects of these now in some cases we sure do um yeah. And you, it comes across your desk and you're like, why is a five-year-old getting risperidone? Like we know the long-term effects of this or getting, I've had adults in their thirties and forties that are still on Halidol or, wow, um, yes, school. yes. And, right. but we work with populations that have vulnerable parents and vulnerable caregivers who, are probably not as well-educated as people who go to grad school and PhD programs um, and who are researching and things like that. And so they're just being given information.
1: Yeah. And it's, 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 it's very tough too, because the whole um, we're being asked to buy into a, a medical model that says um, you have this and the, a deductive model. You have this. If you have this, then we do this. Do you have this? Yes. Okay, we're going to do this. That is the most straight up deductive reasoning that we can do. That's not all that's done in medicine. Inductive is done as well when they rule out. Whenever they're ruling stuff out, they're doing inductive reasoning. They're theorizing. Well, you probably don't have malaria because you have this. I mean, you could, but typically you have this. So we're going to put that on the back burner. That's inductive in nature. That's not rock solid. That's not this conclusion must follow from these premises. Like if you have malaria, if you don't have a fever, you will have a fever because everyone who gets malaria gets a fever. Right. So that's that's like straight up deductive, incontrovertible, as long as the major premise is accurate. And that is an accurate major premise. If you have contracted malaria, if you don't have a fever, it's just a matter of time. Right. If you have if you come in and you have a fever, does it mean you automatically have malaria? No, you have to do inductive reasoning. What else do you have? And you build evidence. Have you been to this continent? Build evidence. Have you been around insects, mosquitoes? You build evidence. That's all the inductive part of medicine, right? But the deep, doing a deductive thing like this, you have autism. What's a good med for autism? These are good meds for autism. That would be inductive. You have autism. These are good meds for that. That, uh, that would be deductive. I'm sorry. That would be really poor form deductive because your major premises are all flawed. What is autism? What does it mean to have autism? Is everybody's autism the same? So any kind of people used to ask questions like that. I don't think they do as much anymore, but I used to get it from parents. Um, Dr. Winston, you know, I did a talk on meds. What's a good, I have a child with autism. What are some good meds to use for children with autism? Wrong question. There are none. they don't make any by the way they don't really make any meds for schizophrenia either they make meds in the same class as ones that are usually to treat it right but you know they make meds they look like other meds they try them out they find out how they work they hope they work one way they find out how they do work they get fda approval and then like they end up with something like Abilify. And that's why somebody actually used my joke. They probably invented it simultaneously. And that's the, if you don't know why, Abilify. And the reason why is if you look at the FDA on label approved uses of Abilify, it's like 40 things. Okay. It's like depression, PTSD, psychosis. You're afraid of the side effects of Abilify. Abilify is great for that too. It's just like, you know, it. It's, it's a wonder drug. It's a Swiss army psychotropic drug. I mean, if you, if you look at the approved uses, it's just like, just this big list would unfold, right? And that's why, if you don't know why, Abilify, it seems to help all sorts of things in a broad spectrum kind of way. Um, but yeah, but that again, these are that there's a med that does this for that, for this behavior. There's some, I'm sure there's, there's tendencies if you looked at it statistically, but all those things are very wishy-washy because they're based on, you know, typically large ends, correlational self-report data. It's not people watching and counting the number of hallucinations per Haldol. We know this is the case. All this stuff with the drugs that we get, like this drug is for this, and this is an antidepressant. And that one is that I told you the, um, the tie story. Did I tell you that one? That, that's the drug that is the exact opposite of Prozac and is an antidepressant. It was used in Europe, Tianeptine. So Prozac is, a, is an SSRI, it's a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, meaning it creates more serotonin. The theory is you're so depressed because you're just running low on serotonin, like a court low. So we'll give you this serotonin reuptake inhibitor. It doesn't suck the serotonin back up into the synapses and it's all a serotonin party in the middle and you just feel awesome this is actually what the people at Pfizer did in a little commercial with a little Pfizer depressed circle, animated circle rolling around with a cloud over his head and it's raining over him. And, you know, depression's like a cloud. And this was the actual commercial. You can probably find it on YouTube. And they showed the serotonin and then they showed like low serotonin, little characters. And then they showed like serotonin party. And I'm like, Oh my God. You know, they, they just like animated mental illness and and made everybody think, it's nothing more than you just, you're a quart low on a certain transmitter. Oh, wow. It's way too early uh, for the jury to come back on that one. And, you know, so tyaneptine is a selective seraphic enhancer. It gets rid of it. It sucks up, or guess what it's used for? Depression. It, it, it may not be, it's not so simple as You know, this neurotransmitter is high, this one's low and boom, you got schizophrenia, you know, because the way that they are, well, first of all, they're not diagnosed by, by blood levels of neurotransmitters. They don't, they don't say, you know, how's your schizophrenia doing? Well, let me check your blood work. Let me look at, let me look at your dopamine levels and I'll tell you how well you're doing. Said no psychiatrist ever. They go by their behavior. How do you feel? They go by self-report. They go by, are you getting arrested? You know, these, these, are, these, are, the, these are the data that one collects about the efficacy of psychotropic medications. You know, not now granted, they'll take things to, to find out where your blood levels are at. So they know if you're at a therapeutic dose, which is arrived at statistically, okay? Uh, body weight, history, medication use history, knowing the meds. Uh, That kind of thing. Um, But, you know, still, uh, there's so many, I think that when people approach the meds, regardless of what they're giving it for, it's just human beings are so different in their reaction to these meds because of our makeup and our history um, and our repertoires. Um, we might have vastly different responses to the same medicines. Now, except for the most powerful, again, like we talked about bell-shaped curves again, you know, if you jack anybody up with enough amphetamines, everybody's going to bounce off the walls, you know? So if you, if you give enough, if you give people enough Haldol, everybody stops being aggressive, you know, if you go for the big things, but when you're trying to go more sophisticated, like, can we tweak something about this person's neurochemistry that somehow makes their life easier, more manageable, makes them more functional, makes them happier, God forbid, okay, takes into account side effects, like it's a cost benefit, you know, for people that can't talk, we've talked about that. One of the cost benefits for psychotropics is, how does it make you feel? It, you know, regardless of what it's uh, other things it does, how does it make you feel? Many of the people that go off their antipsychotics, they go off because they say they hate the way it makes them feel. And you'll know that Haldol is not a schedule two or three controlled DEA substance, DEA controlled substance, because it's not a party drug. Prozac isn't fun. Haldol isn't fun. Risperdal isn't fun. None of those things are fun drugs. And in fact, many of the people report they really don't like the way it makes them feel. Now, if you have a disability, even if you can talk, maybe you're not sophisticated enough to say, I feel blunted. I don't feel myself. That takes a certain level of sophistication. Right. People don't take into account the quality of the person's life through their eyes when they're given these drugs to do a proper cost benefit analysis. Right. But someone who's very sophisticated, they'll they'll do one for you. This isn't worth it. A friend of mine said this to me one time. I had to stop Prozac the first two nights I had it because I had the most horrific nightmares that, like, uh, my own body was laying on top of me. Okay, my own dead body, you know, like, and woke up like in a cold sweat, right? Can your client say that to you? Do you think they wouldn't have a terrifying nightmare of some kind? Possibly this is, this is the cost benefit part. And even if somebody did get better because the behavior went down, which is only one little way of looking at getting better, right? It's the way that's most pressing to us, but it's one tiny slice of the organism, you know, as they exist, You know, are they better? Well, their behavior went lower. Well, yeah, that's good. That's what we get paid for. I understand this. That's not all of what getting better is. You know, there's a million reasons why your behavior can go lower. And you might be doing horribly, you know, and and so we, we that that is a yardstick, it cannot be the yardstick. What else is going on? You know,
0: it's kind of like, you know, talking with schizophrenics or someone who's depressed or is going through like a down period, you know, asking how someone feels, you can lie about that. But what I like to look at is how often are you showering? Are you doing your dishes? Um, did you do your laundry?
2: Because, What's your act like?
1: How do you respond to jokes? Do you respond the way you usually do?
0: Yeah. Are you are you enjoying things that you normally would like?
1: And hedonia.
0: There are uh, right? my favorite words. And and that's something that is completely observable to people, totally. you know, totally. I, he used to always watch this show and now he doesn't even say interested in that. He doesn't want to eat normal foods. He's just really grumpy all the time. This is
1: what we're talking about now, mm-hmm. this is how you interface with a psychiatrist. Not, not strictly. Here's one of the things, here's one of the fundamental problems. A lot of times when they say they're giving a the drug and it's this disorder, they are not tracking and treating The hallmarks of the disorder, they're tracking and treating naughty behavior. Naughty behavior is not the way we diagnose depression, schizophrenia, ADHD. I mean, well, a naughty behavior gets you into the principal's office and then the nurse's office and then psychologist's office and then the psychiatrist's office. Yes, I understand this. But generally speaking, a lot of these other disorders, bipolar, stuff like that, when you look at like, what is the primary thing? You know, biting people. No, it isn't. Okay. No, it isn't. Now you might say, well, that's how the diagnosis is expressed in this individual because they have no repertoire. Well, you know, maybe that they have no repertoire might suggest to you that this is not the same thing going on as someone with a rich repertoire and a history and a different ways to benefit from that repertoire. You know, maybe it's just something completely different and maybe you're forcing it into that category. You know, maybe you're just really giving it for bad behavior, which people were onto. Years ago. And that's why there were federal regulations that said psychotropic medications must not be given strictly for behavior control. And that's what they are being given for. And they just said, oh, we're not doing it for behavior control. They do have schizophrenia and them biting you. That's because they're hallucinating. Oh, what a crock of shit. Okay. again, that's reverse engineering mental illness in someone where it isn't to justify the medication that they're getting. You know, if you're going to give the med for biting, then say we're giving it for biting. The biting's bad. The med might help. There's nothing wrong with that. And if the med did sharply decrease the biting and the person wasn't just a pile of drool in the corner, then I'd say, good job. Now let's move forward and see if we can figure out the biting. You know, but let's be honest and let's say to people, what are you giving this for? And don't tell me depression. Are they crying? Are you giving this to stop crying? Are you giving this to stop biting? You know?
0: And who is this benefiting? You know, is this because the caregivers or staff or whomever doesn't have the time to deal with it? um, Or are we doing this for the betterment of the individual?
1: Yeah. And, and so, like, as an example, if it's demonstrated that when the person is attacking, they really are fearful, they really do look fearful, they cower. And when you come near them, they swat at you and throw things at you and re- withdraw. OK, they don't punch you because they didn't get a cookie. All right. If they're actually fearful when they're doing their bad thing and they look fearful and they're doing all these things, then. Then you start saying, we need to do something about this constant fearful. And then we start talking about trauma and things like that. But it's really based on fearful. What what is the person mostly right now? They look very afraid almost always. Their resting heart rate is 140. And they look terrified most instances. And they jump over almost anything. I'd say we're dealing with a big fear problem here. Maybe there's a medication that could assist with that. And then everything else would be easier, right? Because the fundamental problem seems to be fear. Maybe we don't know from what yet. Maybe we'll never know, right? But you know it when you see it, you know? So like something like this, at least you can say, we're gonna track things like cowering, withdrawing, right? We're gonna look at things like smiling and approaching. As an example, Right. So as an example, let's say it's somebody that's nonverbal and you think that they're very fearful and traumatized and you're giving them a medicine that you think is going to affect that. Well, I'd be tracking, smiling and approaching because if they go from like 50 instances, an hour of withdrawing and smacking and cowering, and I've known clients just like this, right, to like smiling and reaching and walking towards, hello, this is the real shit, right? oh my god they're becoming more social that's a valued outcome that's a functional outcome right are you tracking this nobody tracks this kind of thing but you could Mm -hmm. right you could and you could demonstrate the drug ain't doing shit they're still cowering every day or the drug is a miracle drug let's get more of it because he's approaching everyone and everyone is saying oh my god what happened right this happened to a kid that they used um just medical marijuana on the regular kind of psychoactive he would strip he wouldn't let anybody come near him he would not go to school they started getting him stoned everything flipped not kidding so and what they and if you were tracking is approachable we'll keep clothes on we'll go into school willingly it all would shoot up off the chart if you were counting that like if you said well if your theory is getting them high will allow us to approach without injury, will allow us to approach and he'll still stay calm. We could track that number of approaches prior to. He hit us every time. We can never stay more than five seconds. We get him stoned. We can approach, interact, play patty cake, play a game of cards. How easy is that to count? But my point is, no one really specifies when they're going into the med What's the real expectation? Is it just to make bad things go away? And by the way, that's usually all it is. Uh, What's the expectation for the med? Mom will stop crying and feel like she has peace in the house. Well, sometimes that's a functional outcome too. No, it is. It it is. I know parents, the the foot in the door with them is they need some peace of mind that they're not going to go insane, right? And, And maybe the med is for that. And you know what? That's a functional outcome too. Because if if mom and dad can relax, if mom and dad see a ray of hope because the child is more manageable, maybe now they'll try what you need them to try. We're not saying it's a permanent thing, right? That's another example, though, of a functional outcome where we say, what do you expect it to do? Well, I don't expect it's going to make autism go away. I don't expect it's going to make them talk. I don't expect it's going to teach them anything. I do expect this, though. I expect they won't get pissed off quite so easily. Okay, that could be helpful while we're working with them. So you mean, if I approach them with a little task, and normally they bite me, maybe now when I approach them, they'll just go, "Eh, yeah, it should have that effect. We're gonna look for that. Thank you, doctor. Because many medications do, in fact, work like that way, they mitigate diverse stimuli, right? We can check for that. Come on, we're good at that. So there's so many things that we can help the psychiatrist understand, what are you really looking for? And not, not only that, What are you looking for in this person with this limited repertoire who is not like the typical person that gets depressed? They don't have the typical repertoire. They don't have the typical skills. If they have some kind of trauma, they don't have the typical trauma because they can't attach it verbally to all these other things that are only tangentially related to the traumatic event right? They're going to have more of a simple phobia if they have no language when they're traumatized. They might be afraid of anyone who looks exactly like the staff member who abused them, but they will not have a fear reaction if you say, hey, we got a new staff member today because they're nonverbal, okay? Whereas somebody with a great language, if they heard the word staph infection, they might be, staph, okay? There's my point being, the higher function you are, the more things you know how to do, the more attachments there are in your brain to everything, including words, And the potential for trauma to be kicked off by all kinds of other things just increases. Right. This makes sense. Right. So um, the point being diagnoses, even if they look kind of the same in somebody with a different history and a completely different repertoire, they're very different things, I think. Right. And yet we still give the same meds like people used to ask me because they didn't work with people with profound disabilities like I did in the institution. They go, Meryl, they were in the clinical program. They did like counseling counseling sec, right? They go, Merrill, these guys you're working with, what, what's their problem? That? Do they have like schizophrenia or something? I go, you know, they're not actually smart enough to have schizophrenia. <laughs> and they go, and they laugh, and they go, what do you mean? I go, eh, to, to have schizophrenia, they, they kind of have to have language so that you could see that they're not making sense. So, you know what I mean? It, 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 schizophrenia is like is like a language disorder. I mean, like you need to have language. The most of the hallmarks are your language doesn't make sense, right? And and that you hallucinate. We know this because you say stuff with your language when that doesn't make sense. It's as though you're talking to somebody that's not there. Again, you'd have to have a certain repertoire to really get that diagnosis properly, right? That's why autism used to be called childhood schizophrenia. It, It needed a qualifier. Oh, you did not know that. Oh, your mic's off. I just saw you go um but um yeah autism used to be called childhood schizophrenia and they they, uh they just thought like you know you're not making sense and you don't do what's right and that happens in schizophrenia they don't respond to the guy on the street talking hey how are you doing well you know the aliens are coming down i asked you how you were doing you either say life life sucks or i'm okay you started talking about aliens that makes no sense you have schizophrenia right um but by the way, four year olds do that, too, because they don't know the social rules. They don't have schizophrenia. Hi, how are you today? Hey, I have a puppy. What do you need your health all adjusted? What the hell's wrong with you? I didn't ask you what pets you have. Uh, but that's a characteristic of very young children. They don't know the social rules or uh, people with schizophrenia ignore the social rules. How are you? Well, the aliens know how we all are. You know, it's you violate the, the social conventions just like a little kid does, but for different reasons. Um, but, you know, the the, the adult we give Haldol. The kid we say, isn't that cute? He didn't answer me. He just wanted to talk about his puppy. <laughs> um, it's the same kind of behavior, though, isn't and it? Then you
0: find out there is no puppy.
1: Right. Then you find out there is no puppy, and then yeah. they get Haldol. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, any thoughts on the previous uh, soliloquy?
0: Always, always so many. In like nine minutes. Yeah. Been doing well. Um, a lot of this comes back to the distinction between the deductive reasoning versus the inductive reasoning. And I think for some of us, it's real easy to fall into that deductive just because of the population we work with. It tends to be pretty similar cases over and over again. And In all honesty, it wasn't until I really started working with adults and then older adults, like not just 20-year-olds, but adults who were in their 40s, 50s, 60s, who have experienced this huge, long history of their own trauma um, and learning experiences and everything like that. So their reinforcement schedules and contingencies are all kinds of fun. And then they also experienced medicine and prescriptions in mm-hmm. a time when maybe we didn't have all the regulations and we weren't as good at tracking appropriate behaviors and things like that so we are battling things like the tardive dyskinesia or um just adding on meds because oh well this one isn't seem to be quite as effective because they've been on it for 40 years yeah and so now we just have to kind of keep adding on and and it's really tough to have that kind of inductive reasoning, and a lot of times I think BCBAs feel I don't have the time for it, I don't have the knowledge for it. But really, the, you can look things up, you know how to research. Um, that's a huge thing. Research, go ask questions, make friends with the psychiatrist or psychologist yeah. that they're working with, build a rapport with them. Um, I have several cards and people that I want to contact, and you know, be like, hey, I have a question about this. You know, if you have time, let me, you know, give me some yeah. more information or point me in the right yeah. direction. And
1: the ones I haven't interacted with a lot lately, but the ones that I hear about from other people, they, they are much better than the ones that I worked with years and years ago. So I think people are waking up and many of them are very, very cautious about giving meds. Many of them are very cautious about giving them right away. And I, I've even had, you know, other people, if you work with other individuals, you start to gain some expertise in this. Like, you know, anyone can get information that no one should be on Xanax for six months. You know, that's generally not how it's given. It's given as a transitional thing, right? Because it can become addictive. So, you know, and these kinds of issues. But, you know, behavior analysts can learn more about these things. But, and also as behavior analysts, as people that are good at slicing things up and saying, well, what do you mean by this? Let's operationalize it. Being that we're good at doing that, That's what we can help um, the mental health folks with and psychiatrists. I do a talk called um, the original title of it was like, doctor, there's a there's a behavior analyst in my DSM five and there's a guy laying on a couch talking to somebody. And um, it was just about how we can work in that. And you can look at all the disorders and you can say behaviorally what's going on here. What are they what are they doing that makes us say they have this disorder? They have that disorder what are they doing or what are they not doing? And then if you're gonna give somebody a medicine and you're gonna claim it's for that disorder, then I'm gonna say, it's not good enough to say it's for that disorder because the disorder is just a big blob. I'd rather you say, here's what they're doing. How do you think this med will affect this? And if you think they're gonna do less of this, why do you think they will do less? As an example, if you give somebody enough Haldol, they'll get what's called a postural immobility or this waxy flexibility. It used to be called catatonic schizophrenia, but what some have postulated is that all it ever was, was very high doses of uh, neuroleptics, uh, antipsychotics. A uh, neuroleptic uh, literally is like Latin for seize the neuron. And what it really means is it kind of stops stuff from firing. So. Uh, people on very high doses of Haldol, you, you could pose them like figures. They just don't move. They don't, if you if you put the arm up, it'll, it'll just stay there. It's 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 uh they used to do it uh, with rats. So they give them very high l- levels of it. You could extend the forepaws of the rat, the forearms, and the rat'll just leave them out there. Uh, they're not they're not stiff. It just won't voluntarily move them again. You could pop. Pu- put them in poses and stuff like that. That's at the high doses. So the, the issue is if you're going to say, it's going to stop biting, what else is it going to stop? So, you know, cause the, the medicine doesn't know what behavior it's supposed to let happen and not happen. I mean, you know, they, they're not that smart. You know, they're not smart meds go to the biting center and paralyze it. Uh, you know, it doesn't go to the hallucination cortex, you know, it, no, no. No, no, no. Maybe someday they'll base it on your DNA and they'll give you a drug that goes to like a specific site they mapped in your brain and then it'll do stuff that we're not there. So for now, you know, there's just like little tiny capsules you swallow and then they do a whole bunch of things. And then sometimes it has a desirable outcome. That's what, that's what pharmacology is today. Okay. It's, it's educated crapshoot. So it's like, well, we're clearly not going to choose from that class, although I know some people that have had some. And then there's like off-label use. Right. So that's how these things happen. So it's it's more like, you know, educated mysticism, really. No, I mean, it's uh, you can talk about how they're supposed to work and you talk about what they typically do. And you can talk about what they did in controlled studies with uh, populations of people who did not have developmental disorders or any diagnosis uh, or anything like that. Um, so, you know, there's, uh, there's so much unknown about them again, but regardless of the med that given, uh, the good news is that if you did break things down into what are you allegedly giving the medicine for you're giving it, cause you say it will improve this. How do you know there will be an improvement specifically? And how, how do you know enough about the med to tell me how you think it's going to have that action as an example, as an example, I could say this to you. You have a client with a food-based reinforcer problem. And you know, he loves getting a food. And because of that, if he can't get a food, he becomes horribly aggressive. Uh, doctor prescribes a stimulant, which is also a well-known appetite suppressant. Here's what we expect. We expect that when you give him a normal meal, he won't be as bad afterwards. That's what we expect. We expect he may not even finish his normal meal, right? When we give him the appetite suppressant. So now it may not work, but at least everybody's saying what they expect. We expect he won't want to eat as much. And because of that, we suspect his behavior will be better. You know, shouldn't people who are giving the medicine have some idea of how the outcome is going to be brought about? It's not magic, right? We we should have some idea behaviorally what's going on, right? Um, Some people have described getting Prozac when they were like um, an irritable, depressed, they describe Prozac as the thing that normally pissed me off just doesn't now. Okay, well, that effect could be predicted, and you might postulate, well, well if it works, what will probably happen is when you ask them to work, they, um, they won't object as badly. They still may not work, but they won't become so highly agitated now. That's what, that's what we expect to happen. And then you could look for it. You could look at when given prompt to work on a scale of one to five, even if you use a Likert. Right? How pleasant were they about working? You know, five bit me. You know, four cried. Three just pushed the task away quietly. You know, just as an example, right? If you just started with what's the expectation, can we behavioralize the expectation? Right? And then let's count. And then we can say, hey, man, uh, the drug didn't do what you thought it would do. Right? Here's what happened we have to try a different drug or maybe it's the wrong dose or maybe, maybe the problem isn't what you think it is. You know, that, so, you know, I think that's a very intelligent way to go about doing this. Given that as far as I'm concerned, all you have is educated guesses and narrowing down like really good psychiatrists. What do they do? They narrow down what will probably work and probably not work given the problem, the population and their experience with the population, the problem and the drug. Right. So, But even they don't know, because they're not magic. And, you know, even the best physician doesn't know when you have high blood pressure, exactly what med will work best with you. Now, they can take a guess based on your profile and their experience. It's just a guess. You know, it's not that precise. So, you know, it's the same thing. We wouldn't expect it with any other part of medicine. Why would we expect it with psychiatry? Uh, uh, I mean, we just wouldn't.
0: No, you talked to... Anybody who's been um, like for me, my wonderful medication journey has been over several years, and it's you know okay. We try this for a few weeks. Oh, you didn't like that one. Um, like this one made me feel itchy. Like my body just felt like there was you know it it's was nice my skin that was could, crawling. Which, which and is by I can the way, say that. by the way, that's called akathisia. Oh. And what okay. would happen to somebody
1: who's nonverbal that has crawly skin? They'd start scratching way too hard. They'd start bleeding. They might start doing other things if you block. Them, they become agitating on yourself and they might bite on themselves. They might strip their clothes off because it just it feels feel weird. Yep. Uh, yep. And all of that, we would just say my skin's crawling. The doctor would go akathisia. We got to get you off of this. Can't do that. If you can't talk, you guys are guessing.
0: And that's the scary thing is what you'll end up seeing is, Oh, okay. Well now they're scratching and they're biting themselves. So let's add something else on top of it.
1: And you get a ratcheting effect and they never bring it back down again sometime because they're afraid. Uh, You know, the fear is well-founded, but that's not the way to address the fear. That's that's all. Um, But that, that happens quite a bit too. Yeah. So it's um, yeah. I don't know if it's as bad now as it was. I think people are more enlightened and maybe, I I don't know. I I think that, I think there's one group of people that are more enlightened and they do understand people have been over-medicated in the past and then I think there's another group that are, that are seduced by like all the commercials on television about, it. by the way, this, this wasn't always this way. Like I think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there were no commercials for meds on TV about serious mental illnesses, severe mental illnesses, like bipolar, schizophrenia, anything like that. Uh, yeah. I think they started with things like they dipped their toe in the water with social anxiety disorder. But they didn't say anything about schizophrenia. For God's sakes, now on TV, they have commercials for uh, the meds for tardive dyskinesia, which is you're likely to get if you're taking a med for an antipsychotic. So now they're so out in the open with, you should take us. This is, it's become increasingly open from, hey, if you have a little social anxiety, that's no big deal. Maybe it's this. And then it's like, hey, maybe you have hallucinations. And then it's like, hey, maybe you have side effects from the nasty, nasty drugs you're taking from your hallucinations. So now they just open the whole shit can up and they say, I'm glad they did it. But but it's also sad at the same time because it's so public. Hey, you might be psychotic. Hey, you should take this med for psychosis. Hey, you should take this other med because this med we gave you for psychosis will fuck you up permanently, quite possibly. So maybe you should just take this anyhow. This is what it's become. And that is kind of concerning to me as well that and self-diagnosis. And my mom says, I have ADHD, so I I can pretty much do what I want, or "I, I can't do homework, or I can't do this, or I don't want to do this, or you can't ask me to do it because I have this. I've heard all of them from children, all of them, right? That's its own thing separate from meds. That's like its own thing. That's the, uh, the, the, um, that's the diagnosis sword and shield, I call it. So it's used as a sword and it's also used as a shield. Okay. I'm going to, uh, you better watch out. I'm going to, you do this. I have this diagnosis. So you, you know, you have to back up. And the other one is don't ask me to do this. I have this diagnosis. Uh, the newest one coming down the pike, by the way, is, oh, what did they call it? Oh, it's scary. Uh, it's, it's called, um, oh, uh, pathological work avoidance. Woo, coming out of the UK. Now, not just normal work, work avoidance, it's pathological because you're on the path to no good. Um, so, yeah, pathological work avoidance. And like the, the thing is, it's a thing you have, so you shouldn't ask them to work. It's just this thing they have.
0: Sounds very schedule induced. Uh, God. Uh, anyway, but, <laughs> I was gonna say yeah. I feel like I have that every Friday and yeah. Monday. Yeah, I,
1: th- I think I think that's just you know human nature. What yeah, you're about, the path patho- I would just call it professional work avoidance not pathological. I mean, yeah. you're just just because they're good at it, you don't have to call it a pathology.
0: <laughs> so I think we've hit on. Um, ooh, actually, no. This is this is the one that I do want to go over. So um, there was a comment about you know medications being given for sexual behaviors and aggressive oh, yeah. behaviors. And this for me is a very, uh, hot topic because I do primarily work with individuals who don't have the ability to speak and to have very low repertoires. Um, so like you said, there's a lot of things like they're much more childlike quote unquote in that mm-hmm. respect. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, there we yeah. go. Yeah. And yes. so it's, it's really difficult when, you have someone that goes, oh, well, they, they masturbate all the time. And, um, that word has this connotation of like, oh, well, they're doing it for sexual gratification. When in reality, the individual may be adjusting themselves, um, as they do, or they're stressed out and holding themselves as comfortable. Um, they don't know that it's, quote you know, they don't know because it's a social norm that children are not typically aware of, um, all humans masturbate. That's just what we do and we touch ourselves. Um, and so, There is a lot of discussion about what happens, what do we do, um, you know, concerns with using medication to depress sexual urges, especially an ethical issue. Yes, very much the ethical issue of it, because we had there is research that's done with um, individuals who, you know, and pedophilia, and working on that side of things. But if you have an individual who, you know, is a hormonal male or a hormonal female? Um, and this kind of goes back into our deductive and inductive reasoning, yep. and teasing it apart of is this something that we can work with behaviorally? Is it something medical going on? Like, are they do they have a rash down there? Are they is there an infection? You know, teasing those things apart. Yeah. But also, who does it benefit if we dampen this? Are we doing this just because it makes a per- the the community or like the staff member uncomfortable? Or are we doing this because there really is a need to kind of suppress these these urges? So yeah. there's a
1: lot there. Yeah. In one sometimes there there may uh, there may be uh, medical medical things going on for individuals, and sometimes things really aren't um, sexual per se, but the, the behavior is sexual. That is that is masturbation. That is not the person is sexually aroused, but they're doing it because it's naughty, um, and that does happen as well. Um, so that that would be another kind of another thing
0: I mean um, I've had individuals that would do it because they knew that it would make the person go away <gasps> yeah. don't touch me there and yes and then they meet Miss Kelly and we we don't do that anymore because
1: That's right. it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. there's um, other but,
0: ways you can get my attention to tell me to go away
1: yeah and then there's even there's there's issues all I, I think of it's a matter of convenience, and usually without understanding what's the problem or how how do you address these things I mean and they're a little bit harder when the person is underaged like they had somebody had somebody was um what are they doing they got really turned on by feet bare feet yeah so like nobody could have their shoes off like in the group home at all because he's gonna die for those feet and kind of like you know not like uh, you know, he's going to like pet them or something and then pleasure himself, you know? So that's, that's like his thing, but he's 14. So you can't just say like, well, and what they were saying was th- again, this is like an ethical issue um, because of the age, but it's like, he is 14, 14 year old boys uh, do all kinds of things. Okay. American pie have sex with pastries. Okay. So like, all kinds of weird things. Somebody was saying like, can't we get them like a pair of like rubber feet, you know, like at the kink stores for people that are into feet? And there probably is a thing like that. There no, legitimately is. Rubber humans. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, if it's a thing, somebody makes something. So, you know, if there's money to be made, somebody makes one. But anyway, they're like, oh, no, it's not appropriate because of age. All right. Is this a law? What what you know, like this, these are the questions. Like, are you saying that or and now, in some places it, there are policies that say if they are this age, you cannot program anything in to address this issue, or they cannot have sex toys, anything like that. I think there was actually some language regarding that. And, Cause it is kind of an issue, even though we know what typical people do on their own, but, but these are people that live in group homes and it's not the same rule and they're not your children. And, you know, because of the context, the government has to step in and, and add protections. I understand that. But it does create problems. It creates legitimate problems because what they're really saying is, yeah, somebody else might do this and that might be a consideration that somebody could do in their own home. But this is the government and this has the government's hand in it and this is not the parent's home and this is the state. And because of that and these other protections that have to be put in place, we can't do the same things that a parent could give the permission for in their own home. You know what I'm saying? There's probably some stuff like that going on regarding those, and that makes that makes those kinds of sexual problems probably more difficult to address because the thing you could say, well, it seems to me like he just needs a sex doll. Like one of our staff, they had a big problem with it, but it was their own hang-ups about it. Okay, the dude would make he was he had a profound disability, but he was really smart. He would make his own makeshift sex dolls out of blankets and stuff, and the staff would fight right and. The, isn't that cute? And the staff would find them. And like, you know, then they'd go, oh, it gets all nasty and stuff. And go, well, we'll get him a sex doll. We'll teach him how to take care of it and clean it. Uh, you, there'll be a skill acquisition component for it. You know, and, uh, the the care and feeding of your sex doll. You know, he's an adult. He's an adult that lives in a group home and has needs and doesn't have Tinder. OK. And wouldn't know what to do with it anyway. OK. You know, and, come on. But, but this is these are like adult hang up issues where they might want meds for this problem. And I'm like, what? This person is not, you know, raping people. This is not a, uh, a stalker. This is not a predator, a sexual predator. This is somebody that because of their disability and their sexual needs is doing things that end up being sexually inappropriate
0: properly. All right, listeners, just a quick break in the action. If you are listening for CEUs, here is the first of your two keywords. Your first word is inductive. I-N-D-U-C-T-I-V-E. Inductive reasoning draws conclusions from specific to general. Inductive. Yeah, we did a a talk um, about sex um, with a sex educator named Carrie Isham. And that's one of the things that she was mentioning was, you know, you have to consider the the deprivation of somebody like most humans enjoy sex. Now, there are people that are asexual. There are those that prefer it in different ways. Like, that's the joys of sexuality and and and, and intimacy. And I don't understand them either. Yeah. But But you know what? Whatever, you know, whatever gets your rocks off, I'm not going to yuck somebody else's yum. Um, But. There is this component that, as behavior analysts, we need to think about reinforcing principles here, homies. Like, if I have a sexual urge and I have no way to get it out because there is staff constantly around me, the only time I'm allowed to be by myself is when I'm in bed because I have someone that goes to the bathroom with me. Even though they wait in the hallway, there's still somebody there. Like, I can't get my rocks off here. I can't do it. And so then it just builds up and builds up. And then eventually, it explodes. Pun totally yeah. intended. Um, yeah. But and but it can happen in ways such as, you know, not just diving at the feet, but maybe it's a little more aggressive. And yes. as he's running away, his pants are already down. And oh, goodness gracious, now he's doing it in front of us. And he's a pervert. And you get these labels and biases that come yeah. out. And When all we really had to do was intervene and go, Okay, let's check ourselves at the door. Let's figure out what's really going on here. What are some other skills we can teach this human? Because holy crap, that's amazing when you can teach somebody new skills. Cusps, cusps are a beautiful thing.
1: Right, right. How about teaching some skills related to satisfying his own needs in a way that doesn't get him arrested? Oh, brilliant. Why couldn't we do that? Um, but yeah, these, so I understand that. And and by the way, it's, if we're talking about the emergency use of something as a foot in the door technique, this is a different conversation. If you're talking about, you know, like, like this guy is so sexually inappropriate, Jesus, we can't even keep staff. Now there might, there, there are some things that have sexual side effects, okay, impotence as side effects, and you could give it for the main effect, just like an anti-viagra right the antidote for viagra you could probably you could probably do that the, the, uh, but there's there's ethical issues though surrounding you know who are we to push around his sexual needs um kind of thing right now now if it's a matter it, then it comes down to um danger so if they're like super dangerous because of it right um then maybe you have a rationale for temporarily doing something like that I don't think you'd have a rationale for doing that permanently for anybody though, you know? So, so the thing is, if you did that, what would be the rationale for doing it temporarily? How long would temporary be? And what would you be doing during that time that you're messing with this person's sexual urges? Like, look, we mess with people's everything if the cost benefit is right. People cut you open and mess with your insides. Now you, you want to talk about invasive. Okay. Okay. Uh I, I think that's a bit more invasive than temporarily messing with someone's sexual urges. Okay. Cutting them open when you could easily kill them during the whole thing. Yeah. And we accept that like nothing, right? So, you know, let's let's keep sight of there's all kinds of invasion upon us for our own good. This would just be another one of them. Okay. And doscopy's pretty invasive, right? But they find cancer, it may save your life. So are you going to take a camera up the butt to save your life potentially? Yeah. Isn't that invasive? Yeah. Can't it possibly save your life? Yeah. Everybody's getting cams up the butt. Okay. Okay. So, you know, it's a perfect example of invasive, right? Um, you know, we're we're gonna render you unconscious while we do it. That's another invasion. Take away your consciousness, your ability to do anything. Right. Um, and, and we did, it's so commonplace. But you know, the risk-benefit analysis seems astronomical. So people do it without batting an eyelash, right? So what's the risk-benefit analysis in the medication we're using or in the salt peter you want to give somebody because you know they try to use their peter too much? That's a weird name for a drug that's supposed to do that. It's like calling a drug no dick or something like that. Ain't it? Didn't Peter. they also
0: use like saltpeter in like the American Revolution?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know what for though. It was and who is this Peter person? Poor Peter. Right. Um. But uh, yeah, there's other, but like I said, they probably wanted to give a drug that has like a side effect of impotence for that person. I don't know. But I mean, there's drugs for that uh, that um, yeah, increase impotence, I think. Well, what do they call it? They call it chemical castration, for right? Yep. I don't. I don't know what drugs they use specifically in that regard. Um,
0: Anecdotally, um, birth control is what I have seen in some cases. So, no. like the Depo Provera shot. Yeah. So, which I found very interesting. Um, I needed to do some more reading on that, but yeah, it's it's a really tough call um, for. BCBAs, behavior analysts, whoever's working with this vulnerable population, or really just any population that has to go see a psychiatrist or a psychologist or get medication. Mm-hmm. Like we, you know, we, we take a lot of things in, um, you know, physically and, you know, just visually and auditorily as well. And it's how we process that and kind of I think as you've been you know relaying this whole time you know what are the goals of if we're going to do this if we're going to go down this route and we're going to use medication or we're going to tease apart whether or not this is like a biological issue that this behavior has emerged from or if it really is a behavior problem um you know because that needs to be teased apart i can't i can't treat a behavior problem if it's not really a behavior problem um but it's it's that long term or that that looking ahead of so if this all goes right what is it going to look like and what are what are we going to be able to do from here? And I think that's really mm-hmm. where for behavior analysts and BCBAs, that's kind of our, our, our niche in is, okay, we need to operationally define this. We need to figure out how we're going to collect data on it and see if these changes are really happening because I can't, I don't want to say I can't trust, but self-reports as we know are not the most accurate thing. Yeah, um, And if we're also just looking at a person's Feelings or emotions. A lot of us don't like going to the doctor. So going to the doctor, I'm going to say everything to get me out of here as fast as freaking possible. Oh, so yeah. Yep. Sure. I feel fine. Everything's great. Yeah. No. I don't have any. I don't have any nausea. Yeah. Everything's good. I was,
1: I was just watching the first episode of Monk, and and Adrian Monk is in the psychiatrist's office, and he goes, "So, so Monk, how are you feeling?" And he goes, "Just, just really terrific." You know, and he just he just looks really uncomfortable. And he goes, so you feel terrific. And he goes, yeah, just wonderful. And yeah, it's same thing. Um, I've I've had similar
0: counseling appointments. How do you feel right now? (laughs) And I'm like dressed in all black. I've got my full goth makeup on and I'm like, I feel fantastic. Can't you tell? Yeah. Sarcastic face. So, yeah, it is important that we I mean. Being able to teach somebody how to tack those internal private oh. events and pair it with physiological things, super great.
1: One thing I wanted to say, I think you said this, a lot of people say this, like I, something like it, you just said in passing, you said like, can't treat a behavior problem if it's not really, you know, a behavior problem. If, if it's behavior we're seeing, it's a problem. The question is what the determinants are. This is the real thing. So like, what, what's it primarily under the control of? As an example, so let's say I have frontal lobe damage. And when when you say, Meryl, there's no orange juice, I just punch you in the face. Like any bad news you give me, any bad news you give me, I punch you in the face. Now, that's a fucking behavior problem. Now, one way to talk about it, though, is that it is most likely not reinforced by the behavior of the person who gets punched it is most likely not reinforced by escape or avoidance okay and it is it is most likely an aggressive response pet is almost a reflex to aggression that's a well-rehearsed operant that is partly operant partly reflex and because of the damage the ability of them to engage in inhibitory behavior under that aversive load is almost non-existent. So it is a behavior problem, but it's a different kind. And it's, you know, I'm just saying it's happening because of other things that have happened. It's not happening. Here's a good way to say it. One way to say it. Only one way to say it. Don't, I don't want to overgeneralize. One nice way to say is that it's a behavior problem That was not a result of a faulty learning history. So like I just lost all fucking self-control because my frontal lobe got damaged. And the second anyone says, even the slightest thing I don't like, I'm horrifically aggressive. Like I don't even take a breath. I just, it's like, you stab me in the eye. Okay. Then it, it is a behavior problem. And it's also, if I punch you, If I make a fist and punch you, it's also operant behavior. However, operant behavior can be under the control of multiple variables. And operant behavior can be uh, uh, sabotaged and stimulus control can be broken down so that the operant doesn't occur correctly, but it's still operant, right? So this is my point. It gets a little bit confusing. I like to still call it all, it's all behavior. If it's involving the striated muscles, it's an operant. Okay. The only exception is the knee, is the knee, uh, the tap on the patellar tendon and the knee, the knee kick. That one doesn't go up to the brain. It takes, it takes a U-turn at your spinal column at the pelvis or something and goes back down again. Right. It's like a loop. It's a closed loop is my understanding, which means if your head was cut off, it would still work. Right. No learning going on. The, the other things, the striated muscles, they use, they involve learning. You can't make a fist. You have to learn to make a fist, but the person who lightning fast punches you it is an operant. It's a fast operant. It probably has some elicitive, elicitative variables, right? There's probably a reflexive component, a physiological reflexive component. They get very agitated very quickly, right? Like a cat, if you swiped it, you know, it would instantly attack you. Um, so there's some stuff going on there that was not a result of a learning history. Now there could be somebody, no brain damage, who just, learned to manipulate people this way and became a person with a short fuse. Well, they could become a person with a long fuse again, not the person with the frontal lobe damage. So I think these are some of maybe the important differences when we say things like, and people still do it. And I understand the reason why it's not really behavioral. It's mental illness. No, I'm sorry. It's all behavioral. Are you you looking into their brain? Are you looking into their brain and seeing something wrong? If you're not doing that, it's all behavior. What you're trying to say is, I don't think it's the typical, I don't think it's happening for the typical reason that we see it. I don't know that it's socially reinforced. And the antecedent may not be something outside the person. So if I respond to a private event, something something happens in the external world that is six degrees of Kevin Bacon away from a sad thought. And I see it and I keep walking. And about 30 seconds later, after it goes through all the Kevin Bacon chains, right? I start crying, right? Well, we'd say that what made Meryl start crying? Well, in some sense, it was that initial thing I saw that set off the six degrees of separation. But if you didn't witness that, You would just say it was Merrill's private event. And in some in some sense, it was. It was a continuation, right? It was the last clear thing that happened. But you know, in a larger scale, it was the initial thing that started off, right? So um I just like you know, use that as an analogy. I
0: think that was beautiful. I feel like that was a lovely little like summary. I'm really glad you're you're recording because
1: man, that was just leaving my memory as I was saying it. That was um. It was um, Ben Folds had some lyrics like that, and he goes, I, I don't remember what I said, but I know I spoke because my face vibrated. Uh, <laughs> oh. Really funny lyrics. Um, it was one of those. I know I said something good, I'm not, I'm not sure what it was. But uh, yeah, so um, I, I, I think maybe people like uh, uh, looking at these things more more these ways, like, yeah, you know, come on, if, if somebody's, um, uh, here's, here's what I'd say. Like, um, one way of talking about it, uh, also, even if somebody has mental illness, even if somebody has head injury, it doesn't mean the outside world stops interacting with the organism and, and contingencies still work. They may not work exactly the same way or to the same degree or the same kinds of contingencies, but generally contingencies will still work. So as the example, if if I have no mental health diagnosis and I'm considered to be mentally healthy and Somebody has rigged up a doorknob to shock people, like they hooked up 110 volts to the other side, like a prank, right? Um, and if uh, no matter who's grabbing that doorknob, whether it's me or a person who's diagnosed with florid psychosis, major schizophrenia, right, we will both stop touching that doorknob very quickly. I might, if, if somebody says to me, What is going on with that door? I might say, I think somebody's playing a trick or this entire building is not properly electrically grounded, but something odd is going on. I'm getting out of here. Somebody with schizophrenia might say aliens are trying to jump into my body through the door and that's how they're trying to get to me. I need to touch it again. uh, Okay. But we're, uh, you know, or I shouldn't touch it or they're trying to tell me something's dangerous, but we're both going to stop touching it, you know, but I'm going to sound reasonable. The other person's going to sound like they need their medication adjusted. Right. But the point being that regardless of what we say about it or the conditions under which we touch the doorknob, we're both going to stop because of the power of contingencies, you know, so it, it, it doesn't. It, now, again, does it mean they're going to work equally well on everybody? No. Just like some people are um, more sensitive to pain than others. Some people are going to be more sensitive to some meds than others. Some people are going to be more sensitive to some reinforcers than others. You know, this is right. This is always going to be the case.
0: Again, I think a lot of this comes from experience um, and just working in, in either seeing other people go through things or hearing stories. But like I didn't realize that the bindings of medications or like the whatever it's encapsulated in can affect somebody as well until one of my meds. I mean, I looked and everything matched except for just the delivery
1: vehicle for the med messed you up correct oh wow it was
0: fascinating yes um so
1: just that formulation of it or something
0: yeah but again i have a repertoire so i was able to go to the pharmacist and go hello lovely pharmacist this makes me vomit can you please give me something that does not and but let's say i don't have the ability to speak and so what am i going to do oh my goodness kelly's throwing up all the time now i wonder if we need to work on her diet let's go get her blood drawn now there's a whole lot of aversive things maybe going it's a on. behavior it's a behavior. She doesn't like doing the thing. Um, um, so the multitude of things that we need to be able to unpack oh, and consider. Now by,
1: now, by the way, vomiting is a good example of something that could be either. So that is a bit trickier because vomiting, um, we can say, let's talk about it this way. Um, vomiting itself is behavior, but it isn't operant behavior. It'll happen automatically. It'll happen in your sleep, which is apparently how Jimi Hendrix died. Um, however, that reflex can be summoned operantly, and this is the this is where things get slippery. So that's like the per that, and this is like people who can ruminate, um, and this is like magicians who ruminate, and they'll swallow like two keys, and they'll only bring up a certain one and swallow the other one, and they can do it. Um, but but what they're doing is they're triggering, operantly triggering. A reflex kind of is what they're doing because that's all the stomach is all smooth muscle, right? I mean, that, that is in there uh, and they've, they've learned to activate. Oh, there's some striated, I think underneath, but they've learned to activate it anyway is, is what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, but it's the same thing, but that's a little bit of a mixture because, and when we say, instead, you might say, instead of saying um, strictly operant respondent, you might just might say vomiting, and then you might specify, it is operantly initiated vomiting, right? That's one way I which is what ruminating is, by the way. So they'll sit there. As long as you're feeding them, still, even a tiny bit, when we did the study, there's no rumination because there's food coming in. But if you turn around and take data and you, you were slow, whoop, like the food comes up, not automatically, they decided to do it because their rate of reinforcement dropped. So as long as the rate of reinforcement of food coming in, even if a small amount, as long as it's pretty high, they didn't ruminate. Uh, which is kind of interesting, but that, that, that's what I mean by they can operantly initiate a reflex. They learned to do it. Right. Which is kind of interesting. Um, But that, that doesn't happen with most things. So, you know, uh, like, like people can't um, you really can't, you can fake a sneeze, but you can't operantly sneeze. You'd have to, but you can do things that will increase the chances of sneeze, like uh, stare at a very bright light. Like if I'm about to sneeze and I stare at one, it'll finish the sneeze for me um so the additional stimulation i don't know exactly how it works but it works um just as an example but you can't operantly sneeze you can't just decide i think i'm going to have an actual reflex sneeze now you can't do it any more than you can give yourself the hiccups automatically and just decide to start hiccuping you can't do that either um so that you know some things that you can't do vomiting is one of the crossovers crying is another one uh people can bring again crying is a reflex but people, I guess the way to talk about it is you learn to trigger the reflex, right? Because without having, without having an emotion, right, without conjuring up an emotion, I don't know of anybody who could just go like, I'm really happy, cry, and just tears come out, like without changing their mindset or anything. I, I, don't, know, I don't know anyone that can just go, oh, even in the middle of a sentence, like when I'm super happy, I can just make tears come out of my eye. Nobody can do that. Nobody can do that. And if they can, I'd love to see it. It must be awesome. But what, what most people do, what actors do, and the only thing I can think that anybody's doing is they're cognitively activating the reflex by bringing up painful memories, right? That's what you do when you make yourself cry. You don't make the tear ducts shoot like when you're spitting. It's You don't have superpowers, you know? <laughs>
0: somewhat sidebar but to give people a good visual of this um the man who knew too little with bill murray there is a scene in which he and i've forgotten the woman's name um but she's in the taxi and she's crying because everything is horrible and he thinks that she's an actress and he's like wow you are so good at that do you like do you like stab yourself in the eye do you like think of something bad i I lost my dog and yeah so if you want to but it's very true like Yeah. If I think of something sad, I can get myself to cry. But to just sit here and all of a sudden be like, cry, I would have to go through a process.
1: No, you can't do it because it doesn't work that way. It's a reflex and it doesn't respond to words. Okay. That's not how reflexes work. They respond to emotion centers in the brain, I'm guessing. And what you're doing is you're bringing up painful memories, right? It triggers those areas of emotion and you cry. Now, some people can do it fast. But what I'm saying is, I believe they are quickly bringing up painful memories, getting themselves jacked and crying, right? Um, They're whipping up the tears, as Ralphie said, when um, he almost shot his eye out on an icicle. Uh, uh, The BB hit him and he said it was an icicle. He said, I had to whip up some tears real quick. Well, he was already physiologically aroused from the whole event, so it was pretty easy for him to do. But if you were super happy, you can't whip up tears that easily.
0: Right, listeners here's the second of your two keywords. the second word is specific s-p-e-c-i-f-i-c deductive reasoning goes general to specific
1: now uh if you've been around little kids what can they do instantly without thinking sad thoughts they can instantly do a crying face ah, ah, they can instantly do that they might not instantly produce tears, right? So that, that's all I'm saying um, is, is that it's a, little, it's a little bit different thing when we're talking about, um, I think what, what are operants, what are reflexes? This wasn't gonna be part of it, but I think it, I think it relates because medications affect all these things. They affect our reflexes, the, uh, they have uh, non-operants, they affect operants, they affect the way the brain operates. I mean, they affect so many things.
0: Your, per, your perception of the world, how you how interact scary, with like it. Men, how they are processed.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah, everything.
0: You know, the lights are really bright in here all of a sudden. Or all of a sudden, smell isn't heightened. And like, Hobby Lobby smells weird to me. Right. Kind or of deal. All,
1: all of a sudden, things that didn't bother you now piss you off. And when, when one of our clients got taken off as Haldol, everyone was complaining about him because he was complaining about things. And when I listened to the things he was complaining about, It just sounded like what happened was they're they're upset because he grew a backbone is what happened. And he started to wake up and say things like, how come I have to do that? He used to just go along with everything because he was doped up to the eyeballs. Hey, come on. Let's go over here, Percy. (gasps) Okay. And like after a while, he'd be like, I don't think I want to go there. And staff were like, what? And I was like, he grew a backbone, guys, because you know we took him off these meds. He started to object to things that he normally didn't seem to care about, but he it really did bother him. And that's good. Bit, but he oh didn't my gosh! Show it. And now he's showing it. Oh my god! Right. And I
0: think that's something that ethically we really need to make sure because this goes into the whole consent and assent thing. Like it, that's a huge dynamic between uh, you know, someone more, who's yeah. just going I along. To create,
1: I don't want to create people who don't get angry uh, now. Now, the flight industry does want to create people who don't get angry. And what I have learned is you don't get angry with anybody in the flight industry because you'll just like be arrested. So but but the point is, generally speaking, people have you know, if you have any right, you got a right to get angry once in a while. Now, it's what you do when you get angry. But people want to try to regulate anger. And it's just like, you know, yeah, too much is bad, but everything serves a function and anger is adaptive as well. And I write my best presentations when I'm angry and uh, you know, about something, they did what? I'm gonna write a presentation about that shit, that's bullshit. And, you know, but but I don't, I try not to hurt people with my anger, but I get angry and I feel the anger and I kind of like it. And my point is, uh, and some music comes from anger and some art comes from anger, right? It, it doesn't mean, oh, anger is evil and we need to eradicate anger. It's like, no, you need to eradicate people who punch people in the face when there's no orange juice. I mean, not people, but the behavior. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with anger, right? You know, uh, I'm angry. Oh, that, that's fine. What do you like to do when you're angry? I, I like to do like Mr. Rogers says and bang all the low keys on the piano. That's okay. That's okay. Let's go do it, you know? Um have yeah, bottle
0: bar- cap tops now. Yeah. People get to a place
1: where people can't be these ways. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with being these ways. It's just the way they're, they're doing it is dangerous. That's all it ever is for any of the things that we work with. It's, it's usually it, sometimes it is the behavior itself, you know, but usually it's, it's a degree that we get called in for, you know what I mean? Like, or the context is just too much. It's for everything. Like there's nothing wrong with biting people. If they bite you first, but if you bite them when they say hello, there's a problem now. So, you know, it's not biting in and of itself. It's like people say, like, what's this guy's problem? Well, he bites other clients. Well, when does he do that? I'm asking. Well, really, only when they're messing with him. And I'm like, whose problem is this? Okay. Why are other clients messing with him? And all he knows to do is bite. He, he doesn't know how to hire an attorney. Okay. So, what? what do you you know what is the real problem yeah it is biting but in this context he's being attacked by these guys maybe he should live in a place where he isn't attacked maybe you don't need a behavior analyst maybe you need like i don't know good quality of life living in a place where people don't attack you all the time maybe that's what you need but you you get me you know so i mean it's a lot of these things it's not the behavior itself it's the context and we say it's a problem and you know, it isn't. And so many people getting the meds that they're getting, they're not getting them for the hallmarks, the disorder, you know, why is she on Prozac? She cry a lot. She's not able to get out of bed. Oh no, no, no. She bites people a lot and fights people and scratches. And it's just like, um, but it's given for all, all kinds of things. Um, but I think we as behavior analysts, like I said, we can at least ask questions of the psychiatrists just kind of coming back to close things up of what are your expectations? And of the parents, what are your expectations? And if you say, and you can't just say the uh, name of disorder will get better. You can't just fill that in. Well, their autism will get better. Their schizophrenia will get better. Their bipolar will get better. What about it? What's going to get better? What? Right? So if you say their bipolar is going to get better, what does that mean? You mean they're going to start sleeping? Uh, do you mean that we won't see phases where they don't, you know, where they go for three days in a row without sleeping? Are you saying we're not going to see those anymore? That would be one way of counting it. Like how many, uh, what are the count hours of night slept? That would be a great one. Sleep is extremely important. If somebody claimed that a medication is going to alter sleep, God, that's a no brainer. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I think that just, Uh, when they give any of these medications, if it's allegedly hallucinations, you know, uh, people with schizophrenia that are getting meds, you know, that are allegedly for hallucinations, they're not getting the meds because they hallucinate, they're getting the meds because they're dangerous, right? If your hallucinations are wonderful, you see, this is what, this is the thing people don't specify. What What if I hallucinate like insane, right? but I'm super gentle and considerate like, you know, you're talking to me and go, excuse me. Yes, Harvey, we're going to be done in about five minutes. And I talked to Harvey, like, you know, Jimmy uh, Stewart, the puka, uh, the six foot tall white rabbit. Let's say I'm like Jimmy Stewart. I'm really nice. I'm friendly. I'm not combative. Oh, Harvey, Harvey, they don't believe in you. Well, that, that's, that's okay. That, that's okay. They don't have to. That's all right. It'll just be between us. Okay. You know, I mean, is that you're yeah, right? So the thing is, do I need medication? I'm 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 eccentric. I'm a little weird. Do I need meds? Right? I'm having hallucinations. There's nobody there. I'm telling you, I'm talking to somebody. I'm not. Am I violent? No. Why do I need meds? I'm just weird. I just have hallucinations. I talk to people that aren't there. Right? Like I'm just on on six feet under Dexter when he talked to his dad who wasn't there. Okay, it's the same thing. You know? Is it? Do you need meds for that? Is that the problem? No. It's not the problem. That's not the problem. Talking to things is not the problem. Hearing voices is not the problem. Hearing voices that scare you so badly that when someone comes near you, you punch them in the nose. Oh, that's a problem, right? So it's, this is things people lose sight of. It, it, you know, what are the hallmarks of the disorder? Are those hallmarks at a level that the person is non-functional or dangerous or their relationships are being destroyed or they can't hold down a job you know then it's serious enough to start maybe talking about medications and things right you know that it's i can't function i can't get out of bed nothing makes sense a friend of mine told me um uh, she was worried she was getting dementia and she, was, she was like um I, I'm in a conversation and I just don't even know what the person was talking about. My mind just wanders. And, and she had some cognitive tests done. And she found out, you know, she's just hanging around boring people. Uh, no, I mean, I'm just kidding. No, but I, what the, the, the actual, the punchline is there's nothing wrong with her. You know, she was just kind of you know pressured about other things or just not that interested in what they said, but it wasn't a failure. It wasn't like her brain was going or anything like that. Um, did uh, we have anything else we were going to cover?
0: And, no, you know, I feel like that was it.
1: Okay, we'll cover some good stuff. I mean, probably some things we mentioned before, but I think we addressed the uh, the things that people brought up. I think we talked about how we can work with a psychiatrist better and you know, be honest about what we expect for drugs and how to try them. So I think there's yeah. some good stuff in there. Thanks. All right, well, thanks, Kelly.
0: Thank you for listening to this adventure of the atypical behavior analyst. Check out the website, atypicalba.com, for more episodes, references, and to purchase CEUs. To stay up to date, like and follow us on social media. Just search Atypical Behavior Analyst. If you like the show, please rate and leave us a review. And if you want to support the show but don't need CEUs, you can help by clicking the Buy us a coffee link in the show notes. So until next time, listeners, grab your towel, keep exploring, and we'll see you in the fringes. Well, all right, listeners, thanks for sticking around. As promised, here is a preview clip from episode 28, Shaping Supervisors to be Suns, Not Shooting Stars, with Dr. Tyra Sellers. Enjoy, and we'll see you in a couple weeks.
2: You don't know what you don't know. Like, if you're having a bad supervisory experience, you might... I don't... Like, I'll just share, you know... Uh, I'm, I'm a child of the seventies and eighties. I'm a child before the internet. I'm a child of, you don't air your dirty laundry. You don't talk about mental health issues. You don't talk about family issues. Um, and, you know, for me growing up in a, a very caregiving, but also incredibly dysfunctional family, I just thought everybody's family was like that. I thought everybody's mom did X, Y, Z or what have you until I spent time in other people's homes. And I was like, Oh snap. It's not all like this, which doesn't mean, you know, what I had was, was horrible, but you know, it gave me some other examples by which I could sort of measure. And as a trainee, You often don't have you don't have an eye into what other supervisory experiences are. So sometimes you don't even know what you're getting is is crappy, you know. So I think you're right in terms of connecting people so that they can share experiences and we can sort of start to even figure out what the baseline is.